The following is a conversation with Jamel Robinson. Jamal Robinson is a member of parliament in the Turks and Caicos Islands House of Assembly. We talk about different ideas on how we can facilitate economic growth in the Turks and Caicos Islands and the different roles the public and the private sector are playing. This is the Simon Küpper podcast and this is my conversation with Jamal Robinson. Thanks for having me, Simon. My name is Jamal Robinson, or the Honorable the Honorable Jamal Ray and Robinson Sr. I am a member of the House of Assembly here in the Turks and Caicos Islands. Um, newly elected first time to Parliament. We had our general elections February 19th, um, 2021, which the current government, the Progressive National Party, won 14 out of 15 seats. So we have a super majority and we have an ambitious agenda for the empowerment of the people of the Turks and Caicos Islands. In terms of myself and my bio, I would have communicated with you, me and my wife, Yolan Robinson, who's in the back of my left shoulder. Um, we own an education company called Learning Lead Educational Center, which deals with kids with special needs, um, learning from the learning side of things, as well as persons who need enrichment soft skills development for adults. So we basically deal with learning from birth to the grave. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's a bit about myself. And of course, uh, for persons who might not know, the Turks and Caicos Islands is a chain of islands of 40 islands and keys to the southeast of Miami and the southeast of um, the Bahama Island chain. And we have about 50,000 people who are resident here roughly um, illegal and some illegals wow. included in that 50,000 number. And yeah, so we are a British overseas territory. We have the US dollar as our currency and we are Caribbean, non-Caribbean, given that we're in the Atlantic Ocean. So technically we don't get washed by the Caribbean Sea, which makes you Caribbean, but mm. we, are, we identify with the Caribbean, of course. So you're right at the border? Yes, Okay. to the north. So how did the whole pandemic thing uh, affect um, Turks and Caicos and more specifically the education sector that you and your wife uh, are involved in? Well, how it, how it impacted the Turks and Caicos Islands in general, I guess, just like it impacted the world, everything basically slowed to a crawl. And I, actually the one bright spot, so to speak, from an economic standpoint, and I'll get back to the education stuff, was that our construction industry was the only industry that showed a positive positive growth over that period, which you could say started from um, the announcement of it being a global pandemic, which was in March, 2020, in terms of the COVID-19. So over that period to now, I think our construction industry grew to about, um, grew by like three or 4% compared to the rest of the economy, which I think, dropped 20, 30, 40% and had negative growth during that period. So from an economic standpoint, clearly it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't great. So, and the reason why I believe our construction industry um, continued to grow was because our primary um, industry was tourism. So I believe persons who had access to cash took the time to use that environment which you could get cheaper labor 
to build and prep for this um, upcoming um, tourism season now that we're we're seeing our way towards the end of the pandemic, even though we have the variations and all of that stuff. Um, we've opened our country up again. There's even a greater influx. So like usually during our summer periods, it's usually considered our, our low season. But now because of the pent up demand for people wanting to travel and just you've been cooped up in your homes for over a year and you want to get away. And Turks and Caicos happens to be one of those destinations that people want to visit either for a first time or returning residents so, or returning visitors. So we, we are actually in a good position where we're actually breaking rackets in terms of our summer, our summer guests. So hopefully that bodes well. So when we get to our quote unquote regular high season, which aligns with the winter in North America, the persons would clearly want to get away from the, the snow and stuff and come to a, a warm, warm climate and fast beaches in the world, et cetera, et cetera. So that's good. So in terms of the education standpoint, and we'll talk about, I'm sure we're going to get into the technology stuff as well. It actually forced us into a lot of online learning because you couldn't have kids or adults in mass in school like before congregating with them type of class sizes. So the initial response was, okay, we have to find a way to get online. Now, while many places in online learning is something that's common worldwide, we haven't done it inside the country, like for the residents in the country, particularly with high school, um, primary school, or tertiary education ourselves in terms of here, right? I mean, they're physically being here. So that's something that we had to adjust to as a country. And I'm sure there's going to be some growing pains because of that, because if you're used to face-to-face um, -face learning for all your life. And then now you're just not stuck in front of a computer, but literally stuck in front of a computer mm -hmm. and have to convey your lessons. So from the receiving side, from the children, who would have, that would have been their first time actively doing online schooling. In addition to the teachers who are for the first time, in a lot of cases, having to figure out how they how do they lesson plan for an online platform in the middle of the stresses of a pandemic to boot, you know what I mean? Right. So yeah. so it, it's been an adjustment. And now we are moving to the place where we've done a significant amount of vaccinations. We are over 60% vaccinated for the adult population in country. Um, about close to 70%, probably 70% now would have gotten their first shot of the BioNTech the Pfizer-BioNTech um, vaccine, which we're using as an overseas um, territory as the main vaccination, um, I guess the main vaccine. So, so yeah, so we're, we're going to partial, I think eventually we move from the exclusive online. Now, I think they, we're gonna be rolling out in September, um, half in class, half out of class, I think. So it'll be like a rotation system where you'll still be able to create the social distancing um, environment within the classrooms and some person. So it's it's a rotation. So I believe we piloted that sometime in April, so a couple of months ago, but now we're in the, not the close season, but like the summer summer months where a lot of the kids aren't in school per se. So so yeah, that's, that's how the education sector um, kind of responded to COVID but that's how we responded as a country. So that's a little bit of a TCI during this period. 
So you mentioned technology. Um, I have to say my father is a teacher, so I have a little insight into the whole, uh, I don't know, mentality or, or I don't know, setup. Um, so how, how did that work out for you guys, meaning in terms of probably two major bottlenecks, uh, one would probably be the, or how good is your, um, yeah, the internet broad, broadband penetration? Is there basically an internet connection available for everybody? And then the second part, how yeah, well developed in terms of the skills that you need from the teachers now to teach people or to teach the children through um, that technology, does that work? Or what is your experience over the last I don't know, 16 months or 18 months. How long are we into that now? I don't know. Um, I'm, I've stopped counting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think the initial the initial bottleneck wasn't as much the internet coverage because we have um, several telecommunications provider that provided it. It was more okay. access to that coverage in terms of for individual families having the ability to pay for it as well as the having a compatible device to be able to go online. So whether a tablet or a laptop. So what the government would have done is over time help students get access to the devices as well as subsidize the, 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 the internet services so they can participate. So that would have been the initial because again, you wouldn't before the pandemic, Although, you know, you would want to encourage people to, to be more tax savvy on a family family level, no one would have been specifically monitoring how much people had to take up that, take up what was available. So it was only when there was no other choice, you did a proper assessment. Okay, well, how many kids are in the class now? I usually have a, a, a class of 2025, but I know there's only 16 online. Why is that? Okay, well, they don't have a device. Or if they do have a device, do they have the, the broadband? And a lot of persons use their technology from their phone. So you don't necessarily do your browsing on a on a computer or a, or a tablet necessarily. You get all your access from your phone. So your data or your hotspots that are around the islands and the country. So, so all of that would have been the adjustment. And what was the second part of your question? Um, how well do you think that the, the teachers um, actually yeah, dealt with the whole situation in terms of uh, yeah, switching to, as you said earlier on, from the in-person teaching to an right. online environment? Because, um, yeah, I think that's a big challenge. I, just I, believe it was, I believe there was some growing pains, of course, um, but I think they, they got the hang of it pretty quickly because we have a good cadre of um, teachers, both from the Turks and Caicos Islands as well as throughout the Caribbean because we we have we staff some of our schools with teachers from from across the Caribbean, including Jamaica, where your wife is from. So so you have a few Jamaican teachers here. So I think they were able to adapt and 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 get it done. So definitely it was very commendable for for what they did and what they continue to do. So this summer um, I'm sure they're gonna take a well well, well needed rest and break from classroom teaching and, you know, face-to-face -face online teaching. So it's something that I think it's, it, it, it worked out well. So we'll just have to make sure we monitor the development of the kids going forward because, because of the adjustment, you want to make sure no one fell 
behind academically because of the new type of environment that they had to learn and compare to previous. So that's something as a incoming government, we will definitely pay attention to, to make sure that these, this 18 months or so isn't a lost month or, or there's certain special needs gaps or, or, or delays in terms of persons educationally because you had to learn differently and you didn't, you weren't able to have that face-to-face where you, where you were traditionally have your skill set. So, yeah. Do you think it will stay that way, meaning in a kind of hybrid model that we probably have right now with partly online, partly in person and a rotation system? Um, or what is your prediction in terms of in five years, how will the education sector um, look like? I believe for the primary schools and high schools, once we're able to do full-time face-to-face again, I think that will go that route. But what I would hope is that for the Turks and Caicos Community College, which we hope to one day be the Turks and Caicos University, that they actually offer the online version themselves. So they do the hybrid. So if you can be in class, you be in class, but also have it available online as well. So that way you can grow your market because then you won't have to focus on persons who are physically only here in the Turks and Caicos, but you could offer your services across the across the world, basically. Once once it's something that persons want to take partake in, like a degree from the Turks and Caicos Community College. So that's something that I believe would we would go in that direction, but more for tertiary education as opposed to to, to primary school education. But of course, um, the use of technology in schools is something that we've been working on for, for years now in terms of getting computer labs up. So even if students don't have the access to them at home, they're not losing out the ability to be tech savvy as much as possible within the schools and in, in the, in the wider world. Okay, so do I understand you right that the bottleneck is more that everybody needs a device? And not everybody. Uh, do I understand you correctly that the main problem right now is more uh, for everybody or for every uh, child, to every child, to have a device to actually log into or get access to the online training? Well, that was the initial problem, but over time, the government and the private sector would have partnered up to try and get a device into students' hand that wouldn't have had access to it normally or their parents, or, or they just didn't have access at the beginning of the pandemic. But over time, more devices were bought. Um, again, private citizens would have helped persons out. The private sector companies would have joined together with the government to purchase the devices so students wouldn't have fallen behind. So that's not as much of a problem now, or it might not be a problem. Clearly, that's something we would monitor as a government. but. It was initially because, like I said, persons wouldn't have necessarily needed to use the computers to access their learning because they were getting it um, at, in face-to-face. So that wasn't something specific that was being monitored by the government to say, okay, well, how many homes have access to technology? And persons more than likely continued and used their telephones as their means of technology, but you can't act, well, you can access 
uh, online class on your phone, but it isn't ideal in terms yep. of learning. You know what I mean? So you could be on a Zoom call on your phone, but in terms of being in a classroom, using your phone all day, you're not gonna. It's not gonna be as compatible. So you have access to different things, right? So, so yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. I'm. I'm glad to hear that you do not have the problem like uh, yeah, a lot of other Caribbean countries where it's mainly the the internet coverage and the device for for everybody. Right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, economics, uh, if that's okay for you, because you mentioned earlier on that the building sector uh, grew and we saw the same thing here in Germany. Basically, as you said, people spent their money that they would spend for holiday now on home improvement and renovation and all that kind of stuff. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, I think the Turks and Caicos Islands have like 1.5 billion GDP, something around uh, around these lines. Um, and probably like a lot or most Jamaican and uh, Jamaican Caribbean uh, countries, also a big part of the GDP comes from tourism, um, which makes them uh, yeah, very dependent on other countries, on other economies, on the global economy, etc. Um, so what are your thoughts on getting not so in the or not being so independent um, on these sectors that are highly volatile, um, highly seasonal um, often, but to yeah maybe structure the the economy um, more in a way that is more stable or not so dependent on on foreign money. What we intend to do well, there's a couple of things, and you're right in terms of the dependency on tourism for a lot of Caribbean islands now. They, they normally say that we have a lot of one-legged economies and that's a that's an issue. Now, our second and third um, industries, which are smaller, second being financial services, the third being like fisheries. Now, those two need to be strengthened, clearly, right? Because the one thing that, or the difference where compared to Turks and Caicos and let's say the Cayman Islands, which also has a similar structure, but they have better or more mature, more mature financial sector. The government there was able to close their borders and effectively they're still closed because their financial services have the ability to still be able to fund the government's revenue as well as them to be able to take care of their, their people. So there wasn't a rush to open back up like other jurisdictions, which like, okay, well, we need to open our borders to allow people to come in so we can start generating revenue again. So if nothing else, while um, countries have always boasted about or spoken about um, from a political standpoint, all right, well, we need to diversify the economy. We need to diversify the economy, particularly tourism-based economies without, within the region. If there wasn't ever a time that said you have to do it, it's now. And I think us taking that seriously, we are just gonna explore. And the reason why we need e-governance e for, 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 for instance, is to create the framework for which whatever new industries we want to chase or go after, they have a good foundation to start up, start up on because if you continue with an antiquated system or an antiquated economy, then it's going to be hard to bring in any new industries that you might chase. Now, 
agriculture is something that's big on our agenda. Again, um, food security because of the pandemic, it's like, okay, well, we can't really do lip service because has the supply chain issues been properly ironed out as yet? Mm-hmm. If we have a significant second wave, will this be the wave that caused disruption in our shipment of goods from our source market, which is the United States primarily, right? So we have to position ourselves that by the next major event, which could disrupt the, the world, um, that or even disrupt this side of the world, which, which we're in, um, that we're in a position to be able to take care of our own for an extended period of time with the resources that's within. So strengthening the financial services sector is something that's been explored. So we have to look at what type of instruments we can offer that persons around the world would want to buy in. Um, because I know Bermuda has a strong reinsurance sector. That was their thing that kind of kept them buoyed. I know um, K-Man had or has a strong financial sector. Well, we have to figure out, and my, my, my personal belief is, okay, well, um, if we develop people and give them opportunities to grow, they might be the ones that can come up with the next new industry, right? So from a government standpoint, while it sounds nice that the government will chase um, new industries and stuff, it doesn't usually work like that. Private sector usually generates the new industry. So government just have to put in the framework so they can actually prosper to a point that, okay, well, we're not gonna be as dependent on tourism. It's not that you're gonna get rid of tourism necessarily and just close close your beautiful beaches and your beautiful infrastructure away from the world. You're just saying, all right, well, we're gonna have this, right? And then we're gonna have other industries, whatever they might be, you know. So, and and I and particularly on the campaign trail, I always, I always told persons, it's like, why can't we have the next Mark Zuckerberg be a Turks and Caicos Islander? You know what I mean. So imagine if Facebook was created, registered, and did all their business through the Turks and Caicos Islands. That's a multi-billion-dollar company. So if that if we were able to reap the proceeds from just that one company mm-hmm. functioning like that, what that doubles our GDP right away <laughs> off of one, you know what I mean? One company, one thing. So so it's it's from that standpoint that that's the way I look at how we can diversify. So investing in our young people, investing in our old people, it could be it could be older person who comes up with the idea that makes makes it um makes it a new industry because. Uh, the example that's given for the older people, they, they speak about Colonel Sanders from KFC. He was like in his late 60s when he finally got the franchise for KFC. And KFC is just about every country in the world. So, so it, it, it isn't even about age. It's about investing in ideas and see where they can go. And even, even if in the, in, the, in the current market you have a few small and medium business created, they can develop in such a way that they're super businesses in, in the next decade. And that might be the thing that secures us because they could do commerce from Turks and Caicos to the world, but just be based here because you want you want the base to be here, but you have six, six, seven billion people who are potential customers. So if we could do that, then we'll be okay. But it, it it's a must. And I think it's a must for 
kind of just about every country, particularly in our region and Caribbean, to be be looking at that. What is the next next thing? Because tourism clearly is very very fragile when it comes to stopping the movement of people. Because people, for whatever reason, people the movement of people stops. Tourism stops. Yeah. Wow, so yeah. So when I understand you right, and I would uh, agree with that, um, you're saying that the government is responsible for setting the framework, setting the right. regulatory environment, but cannot foresee um, which industry or what business they should um, yeah, support, but let uh, or set the, the infrastructure, set the framework, and then let the private sector develop or build the, the companies. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's the way to go. Um, you mentioned e-government, and I think that's very interesting because um, when we um, or we have a little similar situation with a lot of um, Eastern Caribbean and Caribbean uh, Eastern European um, countries with um, Lithuania, um, Estonia, and that kind of nature, meaning also very small countries, small population, not a lot of resources, not a lot of nice beaches. Um, so they have, uh, after the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, figure out a kind of business model um, for themselves as, as, as countries. And um, Estonia, for example, they have that e-government um, that you mentioned earlier on, meaning you can do basically everything um, online from driver's license to starting a business, veteran a business, right. opening bank accounts, uh, things of that nature, um, which is super important because when I look at Germany, we are years uh, behind that, even as a highly developed or um, industrialized um, country. So I think that is a chance for a lot of smaller countries that are um, way more agile than, than bigger economies um, that are way more uh, yep, slower in that regard. Um, but where do you see the the starting points to, to set the foundation for that um, to you to 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 maybe get there to get that kind of e-government um, in place in, in Turks and Caicos right now. So the starting point is well we've done initial and this would have been on the campaign trail we've we've met with uh, I think it's a company out of actually Estonia mm. called e Estonia where we had initial just just a feel out for what can be done and how it can be done because we would like to, to that would be our initial goal, but if we could surpass them, that'd be even better in terms of Estonian, what, they, what they're doing, what they've done. And, and like you said, it's a smaller economy, smaller country, and the flexibility, the agileness is an asset for us. So it's investment. So this, this, this year, um, once we took over, we created the department or the ministry. Well, it's a part of the Ministry of Finance, but it's the Ministry of Finance and Digitization. So we're 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 heading in that direction, and we've invested or will be investing in this this budget cycle um, about four million dollars towards that end. So it's about recognizing what needs to be done and figuring out a pathway to get it done. So whether you want to start off with, let's say, driver's licensing, putting all of that online first and having that as a smooth system, whether it wants to, whether you want it to be business licensing renewal, because that's a revenue generator or some other or birth certificates. So I think a process of actually 
digitizing a lot of the paper records had begun already as well. So not only capturing digitally what has been created previously, but then setting it up in such a way we are going forward, it's 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 digital. So that's something that we are we're looking at. Um, again, we have a whole um, department to deal with that. And if they whatever resources that they need, because again, as a lawmaker or policymaker, we might have ideas on what we want to do, but we'll leave it to the experts to figure out the best path to do. Because at the end, again, at the end of the day, for me, it's about the outcome, not necessarily the path you take to get to, to get to it. And one of the things, or, or the biggest thing that I think, and again, this, this ties back into our ability to create new industries, the efficiencies we can actually get from the general population with being able to literally go online and do all your business versus what you have to do now, which is you take time off from your work day or your job or wherever, whatever you're doing to go stand in line to a place, submit an application, then you have to go back to that place to inquire whether or not it's already completed. And then you might have to go back again. You know what I mean? So all of that, the time you waste on that versus going, send an application, go back, get your reference number, go back, type up, do your reference number again. So, okay, well, it's halfway through the process, Mr. Robinson or it's about complete, or it's ready for pickup, or just we've sent it to your mailing address because rather than a pickup um, at the, the customer service um, center, we you paid like five bucks extra to have it mailed to your mailbox or to your location or something like that, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. so those are the things we have to incorporate and actually just do because it's important it's just important for the people here as well as the ability to, to think because if you have more time, if, if you can save, let's say four hours a week or 20 hours a month from not having to interact physically with government services that you can't get around, imagine what you could actually be doing that from a productivity standpoint, you know what I mean? So, right. so all of that will feed into people just being better overall just better in a, in a better position even if you at 20 20 hours that could that could even be relax relax relaxation time that could be personal development time even if it ain't work time it could be used for something else that you can't get back because if you think about it a lot of persons sometimes have to do overtime or work after hours because the things they needed to get done through the day they were busy doing other things, right? And, and unfortunately, sometimes one of those other things is the, the interaction with the government system, right? So we are moving towards, towards getting everything cloud-based. How developed or how would you judge um the banking sector um, in Turks and Caicos Islands, because what I see, and you mentioned that earlier, is that 
in a lot of Caribbean countries, the financial industry, the financial sector is second, third place when it comes to contributing um, to the overall GDP. On the other hand, um, the actual services that are offered to the general public, meaning just a bank account, uh, online banking, things of that nature, or when it comes to business, um, accepting uh, online payments, for example, um, that is, um, yeah, doesn't really reflect the, yeah, that um, the industry itself is that big and contributes that big to the GDP. Um, so how would you rate that in Turks and Caicos Islands? Would you, would you say everybody that has a bank account or wants a bank account has one and online payments for businesses, et cetera, is no problem? Or is there also a lot of work that has to be done? I think it's a, it's a, it's kind of 50-50 and I'm not 100% sure which part is the genesis in terms of where we are in terms of banking because I'm a banker as well. Everybody banks more or less for, for whatever reason, right? And the reason I say that is banks in the last, let's say several years have tried to move towards the online banking where you can have more, you, can, you have access to it, but trying to get the customer to do online banking, to reduce the need to be in the physical bank itself. Okay. They've, they've, they've tried, right? But, People just like familiarity and knowing that they can go to the bank and do their banking business because um, it's, not that you're, it's not that you're afraid to do online banking, but it's not as familiar with you, to you, to be on the online platform. So that, that the persons in that, that part of the um, population, they would need more I don't call it training, but just more awareness on why and how it, it works. And that, that push has to come from the banks themselves, right? And for whatever reason, this, this part of the, the, I guess, the equation in terms of the banking sector as a whole, we are far behind our, I don't want to call it regional counterparts, but from a world standpoint, in terms of the advances in banking, we're, we're, we're nowhere near where we could be. And the unfortunate part is we have several Canadian banks that their parent companies in Canada offers a lot more than they do here in the Turks and Caicos. So that's the unfortunate part. And this isn't a, a just now thing. So that's why, yeah, they're now pushing it, but Online banking is something that would have been available in, let's say, Canada many, many decades ago, probably. So the slowness or the uptake of, of pushing the change from a population standpoint, it just it just seems it's a bit late, comparatively speaking, but we're here, so we have to deal with it as it comes, but definitely there'll be more of a push, in, and, and I guess you can't move faster than your population as well. So it's a it's a it's a bit of a bit of both. So we have to take this journey together and get improvements and and just be more tech savvy and be able to use it more. But I guess as the population ages and new newer Turks and Caicos Islanders are born and grow up, um there'll be there'll be things that are become second nature to us anyway. So I'm a bit more savvy than my parents would be on online banking or technology. 
my kids are probably going to be way more savvy on technology than me in a minute. You know what I mean? So as as the people change, then the need for and the want for technology, including the online banking or the banking platforms, being more technologically updated, will will happen. So so it'll, it'll come. But I think banks can do more, and from educating their 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 clients on what's available. So even perfect example, even stuff in terms of like wealth creation. Banks here have their their wealth creation arms or whatever, where you can do various investments and stuff like that. And I remember go, walking into a bank and the first time I knew that they did the, the wealth create or wealth management, sorry, wealth management, yeah, same thing, wealth creation, wealth management, had that as a part of their, their portfolio, what they, or services they offer, is when I saw it on a business license that was hung up like at the entrance. I was like, what? They do that? I was like, how come nobody ever asked me if I wanted, you know? Because mm-hmm. like even if even if even if their threshold, let's say, is a minimum of ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars to start up to be able to access that service, no one knows. So what if you had twenty thousand dollars sitting down doing nothing and you were figuring out, okay, well, I could do something with it, or I could buy a car or a boat or something. And you came when you saved up twenty thousand dollars, and you do do that as opposed to have them invested on your behalf. So those services aren't you, you as the general populace. You don't know about them, so I'm assuming they they have that for their richer clients who probably have portfolios in the multi millions. But if your threshold is only ten thousand or twenty thousand, that's how you build wealth. But that's not something they advertise to the general populace, and you should because if I have an idea as a fifteen, twenty-year-old that okay, well, my local bank does wealth management, and, and the threshold is twenty twenty thousand dollars. If I'm between that time and me turning thirty, forty, and I have that, okay, I, I know where I could put this money. Or I know what to strive to, to to get to that if that's a goal of mine to increase increase wealth and in, in money. So I think from that standpoint, our banks can do a bit more education of the public. So do you have um, access to international stock markets? Meaning, could you buy um, an Apple stock on the New York Stock Exchange um, or on the London Stock Exchange uh, or whatever, because um, most Caribbean countries do not have any access to any international stock markets, at least as far as I know at the moment uh, that we're speaking. Well, I I would say yes and no, because I'm not a stock market person as yet. And I was actually looking into it uh, more recently. So there's there's probably a pathway to get it. But I don't know the exact pathway offhand, but I have a few friends who actually are active in in the stock market as well as dealing with cryptocurrencies and stuff like that. So I don't know what, how do you create the profile to be able to do it or if you have to go through an agency. So for example, our national insurance board, which is our kind of social, social, my uh, social 
not social services. I'm trying not to say services like the social, <laughs> like social security, right? So like our social security program, that's what I'm looking for. Our social security program, they have an investment, um, which we have a portfolio. I think it's like two, say about over $200 million in stocks and bonds in the U.S. and just through all markets. So, um, um, the various markets throughout the world. So, and that's here or from an institution here. So it can be done, but I don't know the specific pathway if you're just basically an individual who wants to access that market yourself. So I'm sure there is a path, but I'm not, I'm personally not certain of what that pathway is. And persons have to want to to actually seek that path and find what it is, because if that's something you're interested in. So I think it's possible, but I, I'm not sure the exact ins and outs, whether you have to be a U.S. citizen, whether you have to have a bank account in the U.S., the, the, minimums, the minimum requirements to be able to buy stock. And then, of course, then you would be subject to whatever laws and regulations in that particular country to be able to join those stock exchanges. So I think it's about, again, legwork, getting educated about it and finding out what needs to be done. So, and if you do know the secret, the secret sauce, tell people, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's the stock market for the world or, or the US, it isn't a personal secret that you should keep to yourself if, you, if you're aware. Because I'm sure there are individuals that do, do have stocks and stuff. Okay, but it's nothing that the general public or that the banks and the Turks and Caicos no. Islands offer to the general public. Definitely or at least not promoted. Okay, no, right. that's not that's not available generally. And that's unfortunate because, as you said earlier on, um, it's a two the two way street. Um, on the one hand, it gives the the people in the Caribbean countries the opportunity to invest mm -hmm. in, in yeah the world and the global economy, and also the other way around if you have. As you said, the next Mark Zuckerberg uh, coming from the Turks and Caicos Island, you need that money, um, that investing or that investment yeah. money from outside to actually being able to flow into the country or flow into that um, these uh, endeavors or these companies, startups, however you right. want to call them. Yeah, yeah, okay, interesting. Um, before we wrap this up, um, anything else that you want to add or where can people find you and get in touch with you? Well, people can find me on the various social media platforms. I'm on LinkedIn, how you found me, um, on uh, Facebook, personally, as well as I have a page um, separate and apart for for my, I guess, political and community activism and um, activities and stuff, as well as Twitter and Instagram. Um, I have a, just, just, just look for my face, look for Jamel Robinson, because I think I have a, a number of handles. I think on on IGM Jamel Robinson eighty one. On Twitter, I'm Jamel Robinson five. Unfortunately, when you come late to the game, you know what I mean. Like people take all their good stuff, the numbers, uniforms. So they just just throw some other stuff there. But generally, you can find Jamel Robinson on on the various um, social media platforms. I'm most active on on um, Facebook and Twitter. I'm sorry, not Twitter on. Instagram, though, those are two of the main platforms that I'm, I'm most active. If you want to see my my day to day, week to week type movements and what I'm up to, those those platforms would be the ones. Otherwise, you'd be like, why am I on Twitter? He doesn't post on Twitter or 
I don't see much of his stuff on LinkedIn and stuff. So, so yeah. So I'm there, but not as active on all media. Well, Instagram, if people want to find you, Instagram is the best way. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. Okay. And for everybody watching, we probably have the social media handles uh, somewhere down there right now. And for everybody listening, uh, yeah, the social media handles will also be in the show notes so that you can find it easily. Because as you said, sometimes when you're late to the game, it's hard to yeah, spell everything correctly when you're looking for someone online. That's true. All right. Anything else to add from your side that we maybe didn't touch on so far? Well, the only thing is uh, Turks and Caicos Islands is open for business. So if you have an investment or you want to come on vacation or the real estate market is actually booming as well. So there's a lot of investment properties down here. Or if you just want recreation, um, we have a great market um, from a real estate standpoint and investment standpoint. And you have a friendly government who is willing to work with you so we can develop together. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Jamel Robinson. I appreciate it and hope to see you next time.